you know, you're here, God is here, this is a good place to be. And I'm glad that we can come together and worship and celebrate our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm also grateful this morning for Dave and Danielle and their leadership in helping us with worship. We've appreciated them. We've gotten to know them through this transition process and have valued uh, their, their participation in our ministry. Could we just uh, thank them for the work that they've done? Amen. We, we really do appreciate that so greatly. As I mentioned last week, next week, we turn the page and we welcome Jason Cork, who will be joining us as our pastor of worship. And uh, I'm excited for you to get to know him and his wife, Danielle, and, or, or Melissa, and their family. Danielle's here already today, uh, but uh, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to introducing them as well, and, and that will be exciting. One thing I do want you to know, and this is, I think, kind of neat. I think it's kind of exciting. But next week, uh, we're going to change up the services a little bit. 9.15, we're going to have it just as we do. So if you like this and, and want to come and be a part, bless you. Come on in. We're going to have service right here. But n next week, through the month of September, we're going to meet outside at the 11 o'clock service. So the North Lawn, very similar to what we did last week with the baptism. We enjoyed that so much. I thought it gave some people some opportunities who maybe uh, are, were, were a little reticent about coming inside. Well, let's meet outside. So we're going to start that now that Jason is on board. We can do that a little easier. So 11 o'clock service will now be held outside. Uh, bring your chairs and that kind of thing. And, and for goodness sake, if you'd like, bring a picnic lunch and stay a while and we'll just fellowship so either way we wanted you to be aware of that those who are online we wanted you to know that that's a possibility too we're so grateful for those who uh, continue to stay connected still uh, being online whether you're here or online those of you who are giving Thank you for not forgetting us. Thank you for your continued support of our ministry and our church. We're doing the best we can to continue to move forward. This day will pass. This season will be gone once, once uh, uh, you know, the, it, it will take some time. But we've been patient and we are, uh, we're moving forward in our ministry efforts. Well, this morning, I want to read uh, a passage of scripture that's kind of lengthy, to be very honest with you, but I think that's not a bad thing. Sometimes I think maybe I don't read enough scripture, and man, if all I do today was read this passage, that would be enough, that would be sufficient. But we're looking at 1 John, and we're talking about authenticity, and I want us to go to chapter 2 this morning. We looked at chapter 1 last week, and we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2 this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to receive this word together. And uh, like I say, this is a little lengthy, but, but I think it's well worth our time and energy. The Apostle John writes to the church, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made, made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him 
must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, now counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. May God add his blessing to his precious word. You can be seated. Now, as I said, this is a, a lengthy chapter and interesting in many ways, and there is a whole lot here that I could deal with. But you have plenty of time, so let's 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 try to do it so now what I'd like to do is hone in on a particular theme that I think 
is set, uh, the stage is set in verses 13 and 14 when the Apostle John writes these words. He says, I write to you, dear children. In other words, there are Christians who have just who are babies. They are just learning. They are new to the faith, and they only have the most basic understanding of what it is to follow Christ. He says, then, I write to you fathers. On the other side, there are some who have been in the faith a very long time, and therefore, therefore should be mentors and models to those who are newer to the faith. And then he says, I write to you young people. There are some who have been in the faith, but they have not matured. There are many things yet ahead of them, much to learn. And so there is a, a desire for humility and energy that's going to be required. There are children, there are young people, there are fathers when it comes to the faith. Now, I want to ask you this morning, where would you place yourself on that spectrum? One of the things I realize as I read this is that John is laying out in, in doing this progression of faith is he is inferring a very important and key expectation. And it's this. As a Christian, you are expected to grow in the faith. You are to mature in your walk with Christ. In other words, Christianity is not a one-time, I said a prayer, I went to the altar, I got baptized event. It is a journey, a walk, a sometimes difficult learning experience of growth in learning to be more like Jesus. When my kids were young, it was kind of a running joke in our household. I'd look at Caleb and Joshua, and I'd say something like, are you growing? And I'd act real perturbed. And I'd get the same response. Yeah, Daddy, I'm a big boy. And I, 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 I don't want you to grow up. You stop it. You stop growing. Does Daddy have to spank you? And uh, then they'd say, well, Daddy, I can't help it. God makes me grow. Now, I don't do that anymore. Caleb is 22 years old, and it just doesn't work. But the reality is, when we become Christians, the journey and opportunity for growth is just beginning. The Bible talks about the fact that we are confident that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God's destiny for you is he wants you to grow. He will cause you to grow. He will complete you. But as a Christian, we also have a responsibility to put ourselves in a position where we will grow. If a child is to grow, he's got to eat. If a child is to grow, he's got to experience and learn and exercise. Think if you about it. If you have a one-year-old, you would expect when they're learning to walk, that you know they're going to fall. You know that's part of the experience. And it's even cute at that age to watch them go through that experience. But take that same child, and let's say they're six years old, and they fall at the same rate, they fall in the same way. It's not as cute, is it? It's suddenly a, a, a cause for concern. It's a problem. There's an issue. The truth is the same for our faith. As Christians, we need to make progress in learning to walk as Jesus walked. 
And if we aren't experiencing that maturity, that's an indicator that something is wrong. There ought to be a measured growth in our faith. Now, in this passage, John lists several indicators that I want to point out to you that we need to consider this morning to see whether or not we are growing, to see if we are the real thing. And these indicators will let us know if we are allowing God to work his grace in our life to cause us to grow. And that's what I want to concentrate on today. The first indicator of maturity in a Christian is found in verses 3 and 4. The Apostle John writes, we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So the first indicator of growing in faith is that we develop a pattern of obedience to our Lord. To put it simply, as growing Christians, we should sin less and love more. Now, as I've tried to communicate many times, being good does not save anyone. But striving to obey our Father is a sign of authenticity. It's a sign that you belong to him. Now, some of you have seen the, the show Antiques Roadshow. It's been on television for years, and I find it kind of interesting. Every once in a while, I'll turn it on. I'm not an antiquer, but, but I find it fascinating what people will bring to the, to the, uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, experts. You know, they travel all over the country, and they bring in those items that they found at a garage sale or maybe up in their attic, or it was passed down to them by one of their relatives. And of course, what's fascinating is as they do that, the show is all about how when you bring that item, they will tell you how much it's worth, its value. Now, sometimes people will bring in something they are so excited about because they believe it's going to be the jackpot. It's going to be worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And then the expert looks at it and says, I'm so sorry. It's a copy or... It's a forgery. It's not authentic. It's worthless. John says the same thing can happen to us. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If a person continues to disobey God, he is pretending to have a relationship that does not exist. When people say, well, I know that the Bible says this about being faithful to my mate, but I'm going to betray my marriage vows anyway. Or I know what the Bible says about loving someone of another race, but I'm going to refuse to do so. Or I know what the Bible says about generosity, but I'm going to take as much as I can for myself Never think about giving to the church or to missions or to the hungry. Then you are doing something else than following Jesus. John says you're practicing as a liar. You've been exposed as a fraud. You may look like the real thing. You might show up to church. You might even get a tear in your eye at the pastor's sermon. But if it doesn't change the way you live, then you have been unmasked 
as being inauthentic. Now, there are, of course, those times in the Antiques Roadshow when when something they'll bring will will, uh, kind of get exciting. They bought it for $8 at a garage sale, and they're hoping it's worth maybe $50. And the expert will look excitedly and carefully, and he'll start talking about, wow, the the marks of authenticity. And he'll say, you are not going to believe what you have. This was made by such and such at such and such a time, and it's an original, and it's worth $25,000. Now, it might look like junk to you and me, but oh, how very valuable. Ephesians 2.10 says this about each one of us. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, there's a lot I could unpack in this verse, of course, but that word workmanship could also be translated masterpiece. The reality is that everyone in this room is a masterpiece of God's creation. But how do we show that we are his? We do it by our good works. We do it by living a transformed life where we show that Jesus is Lord in every area of our lives. And so in verse 5 and 6, John writes, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is made complete in them. This is how we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. He's our example. He's our Lord. If we are authentic, we're going to become more and more like Jesus. And people will begin to see Jesus in us. Now, John outlines a second sign of maturity. And it's this. It is a deepening love for God's people. Verse 7 and 8, he writes, Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. It is, its truth is seen in him and in you. Now, John gets a little confusing here, but he says, I've given you both an old and a new commandment all at the same time. The commandment is love one another. It's an old commandment because you have seen it, trace it all the way back to Leviticus 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But it's also a new command because we've seen it embodied in Jesus Christ in a way that we never thought possible. Jesus was love, perfected. Here was the most perfect of men who died on a cross for sinners, and even there he prays for his executioners. Father, forgive them. Never did a man love like Jesus. And so in verse 9 we read, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister still in the darkness. So it's love that is a sign that we are living in the light. 
I can't believe we are in 2020, the year 2020, and we are still talking about races hating one another. How can that be? Why does that happen? And the only reason is this, because there is a darkness in the human heart. It's a sin issue. God, help us to see the light. But it's not just about race. You know as well as I do that there are some people who are just easier to love than others. There was a pastor, his name is Carl Ketcherside. He was known as the Apostle of Love at his church at St. Louis, Missouri. He just preached love, love, love. He oozed love. He's just kind of one of those men. But he even admitted that there was a woman in his church that he found it difficult to love. He got on, or she got on his nerves constantly. She was always criticizing him. She was never happy with anything he did in ministry. And finally, he said to the Lord, Lord, why did you even make a person like that? And the Lord said to him, well, you're so big about loving everybody. I just wanted to see what you could do with her. You have anybody like that in your life? I do. I'm not going to name names. But uh, there are some... We, can, we are challenged to love everyone. And verse 10 says, if you are in love, if you love your neighbor, nothing in you will cause you to stumble. You will not sin. You see, resisting sin is about not, not doing something. Sin is always about loving the wrong things. But righteousness is about loving people. Righteousness is about demonstrating and showing that love to others. I love the fact that in our church in just a couple of weeks, we're going to take a, a tangible opportunity to, to love. In our world where, yes, racial division is wrecking our society, we're going to partner with the Greater New Beginning Missionary Baptist Church in Slavic Village. Some of you got to meet Pastor Michael a couple of weeks ago, and he's a delightful man, and, and I love what he's doing and the, what the church is doing in that community. And, of course, we're coming alongside Briggs and Jen Shewitt in Slavic, uh, the neighborhood friends church there as well. And so we're going to work together. And, of course, it's not just about scraping and painting a building. It's about building community. It's about us giving an opportunity to get outside of our comfort zone and, and discover relationship. And we are going to have an opportunity to learn so much. What was it? September 12th and the 26th. And if you haven't had your chance to sign up yet and you'd like to do so, please, please, we can use you. But I don't want it to be a one-time event. We intend for events like this to be part of who we are and where we are going as we connect as a task force and we consider these issues. But on the other hand, hatred, hatred of anyone is a sign that we're walking in darkness, John says. But those who hate a fellow believer are in the darkness, verse 11. Is there anybody you hate this morning? Maybe you need to deal with that because you are not going to grow in Christ if you harbor bitterness and hatred. 
Someone rightly said that bitterness is the poison we take thinking it will kill our enemy. Hatred will blind you and limit God's ability to do his full work in your life. And the only way I know to overcome that bitterness is when someone has hurt you to remember the extent of God's forgiving you. And when you remember how much he forgave you, you have the capacity to forgive your brother or your sister. Now, a third sign of maturing faith in this passage is an increasing disdain for the world. Verse 15, John writes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, love for the Father is not in you. Now, the word world is used in Scripture in three different ways. Uh, one way is the world as God's creation. God created the world. Another way that Scripture uses the world is for people. So God so loved the world. But the third way, and most often the world is used in Scripture this way, it is speaking of the evil systems of the world. Satan's kingdom. We are not to love the world. You remember that when Jesus was tempted by Satan, that Satan took Jesus on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said, Jesus, I will give you all of these kingdoms, all of this, if you will do one thing, if you will bow down and worship me. Listen, my friends, Satan is willing to make us the same deal. The problem is we settle for so little. Jesus looked at all those kingdoms of the world, everything that Satan had to offer, and he said, it's not enough. It's not enough. Because Jesus had more. He had a relationship with the Father, and he would do nothing that would in any way jeopardize that relationship. And so John is telling us this world is tempting the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all these things. We know this world can be very appealing. John talks about Antichrist. He says there are those teachers who purport to be Christians, but then they prove they are not because they themselves are worldly and seduced by these very things. Man, if you follow evangelicalism, and some of you I know do, and evangelical leaders, how many times do we have to see this happen? We saw it again this week. These are the antichrists because they are completely antithetical to everything that Jesus taught. But yet in the church, we so often follow these people. Because they promise us what we want in the world. This is an opportunity for us to repent. Liberty University, let's, let's name it. Let Jerry, Liberty University is a great Christian institution. I pray for it. I bless that and pray that they will get them, their act together. But they let Jerry Falwell Jr. get away with so much because he gave them a bigger school, more prestige, 
higher enrollments, and access to the most powerful in our nation. But when will the church learn the way of Jesus? The world is tempting, but John says it is also temporary. Don't be deceived. You see, this is what maturing Christians are going to understand. That this world poses a threat by enticing us with power and lust and desire. But mature Christians will grow an increasing disdain, a dislike, a discomfort for those things. I told you a few weeks ago, when I was younger, I fancied I would get into politics as a young man. Loved it. In fact, I'm a political animal. These last two, few week, uh, last two weeks, I've watched nearly every minute of both political conventions, much to my wife's dismay. And, and I watch on C-SPAN. That way I don't have to hear all the political commentators telling me what I just heard and telling or keeping me from hearing everything that I want to hear. And I've listened to all, about every minute, almost every minute. And despite that, I'm going to tell you, I am sick. I realize I'm homeless. I, I, I tell you, I, I don't know where I belong. Now, I realize there are some in our church who would really like me to put on my MAGA hat and cheer the Republicans on because they are the party of religious freedom and they oppose abortion. And there are also those in our congregation who want me to tear into Trump for his handling of basic facts and his ridiculous tweets and tell you all to vote blue. But I, I'm not going to do that either. All I know is this. This world is not my home, and I feel it more every day. And I keep realizing more and more, the older I grow, the more I, I don't belong here. And I must be getting older. As most of you know I'm 50 years old, but it must be worse than that. Because I went and got my hair cut this week, and the young lady gave me the senior discount. <laughs> the senior discount begins at 65. It, it has to be the mask or something. Those things are evil. And I just don't belong here. Man, I, I don't mind saving money, but... Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. You see, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and my heart aches, but I am so glad I do belong somewhere. Christian, the most politically revolutionary thing we can say is, Jesus is Lord. The most politically revolutionary thing we can pray is, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and the most politically revolutionary thing we can do is love God with our whole hearts and love our neighbors. 
God is in charge. He will reign. In fact, I remind you of Paul's words again. He must reign. That's why I must never get on the world's bandwagon. Christians will see the world as they mature through a much different lens. And they will like it less and less. It almost just doesn't fit anymore. Finally, I want to end with this thought. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Another sign of maturity is a determined confidence in God's truth. Eugene Peterson translates this verse this way. He says, but you belong. I love that. But you belong. The Holy One anointed you, and you all know it. This morning, I know our world is in trouble. Look around. And yes, we should pray for peace and health, and we must pray for revival. That is what we need. Maturity is deciding to hang on to what we know to be true. And I know this to be true, that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life, and yet he died a sinner's death so that you and I, who were sinners, might be saved from the devastation of this world and to give us eternal life. And listen, if you don't feel like you belong, I want you to know this, you belong here. You belong here. You say, Pastor, I don't know. I've got so far to go. Listen, you've been anointed, God's word says. You've heard the word. You've received Christ. God is doing a good work in you, and he is going to complete that work. Listen, if you can hear my voice right now, you're supposed to be here. With all the baggage and all the failure and everything you bring, you belong. The Holy One has anointed you. You haven't quit. You haven't walked away. You are a masterpiece of God. You are God's work in progress. Rejoice in that. Someone said, with God's help, I shall become myself. Charles Spurgeon said, if I am not today all that I hope to be, I yet see Jesus, and that assures me that I shall one day be like person God intended me to be, an authentic reproduction of the very nature of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our destiny. You belong. And so verse 24 tells us, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. So you keep holding on to that truth, Christian. You keep growing. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that all we've heard and seen today is Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's anything that I've said or any, uh, any way that I've led astray, that Lord, you would just filter all of that out, and we would know that we are yours. Help us, Lord, to strive to maturity. Help us, Lord, to grow in our faith and our confidence in you. 
we proclaim as a church today, no matter what is going around us, that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, we confess our need for you even now. And we thank you, Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit, anoint us in a fresh way to be your ambassadors of love and grace. And Lord, when we are tempted by the the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the, the pride of this life, may we instead, Lord, look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and know that you who began that good work are going to complete it in us. I pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going to teach you a new song this morning. And <clears throat> Jeff talked about the this world not being our home. And um, the song kind of talks about wanting to, our, our desire should be just spending time with the Lord. And uh, it's kind of a song of repentance um, uh, because we tend to, as as believers, we tend to uh, 